tonight, a grieving family demanding answers after a heartbreaking delay at a Nova Scotia hospital. A mother mourned following an agonizing wait. At that point, it was just too late. The outcry over cracks in the healthcare system. Cleared for takeoff, Canada's new fleet of fighter jets. The modern, reliable, and agile fighter aircraft. A multi-billion dollar deal after a drawn-out political dogfight. Plus, tackling a safety problem head-on. Well, that's when we started talking about the idea of having an alternative. The mother who invented a helmet that's diverse by design. It's going to mean a lot for a lot of kids, I think. CTV National News with Omar Sachadina. Good evening, everyone. A man who lost his wife inside an emergency room just days ago shared his raw and unimaginable grief today and added his emotional voice to a growing chorus denouncing the crisis in Canada's overcrowded hospitals. I don't know what's going on, but the healthcare system is obviously not getting the attention it needed or it needs. 37-year-old Allison Holthoff was a mother of three children and a volunteer at her local fire department. Her husband says she died after waiting hours for care, at one point even lying on the floor because it hurt too much to sit. CTV's Heather Wright has the heartbreaking story. I guess it all started on the 31st. The pain in Allison Holtoff's abdomen was so severe, her husband Gunter says he had to carry her into a Nova Scotia emergency room, only to wait for six agonizing hours. I did go quite a few times. I don't know, one, two, three, four, five times to the nursing desk and told them that she was getting worse. But even as she deteriorated, the couple was kept waiting. She said, I'm, I feel like I'm dying. They're going to let me die here. And, and I just told her, like, no, that's why I got you in the hospital. I'm here to get you fixed up. As she was being looked at, Allison lost consciousness. I was holding her hand and her eyes were rolling on the back of her head. The 37-year-old had to be resuscitated three times. A CT scan showed she had internal bleeding, but doctors told her husband there was little chance surgery would save her. She was taken off life support after her three kids were able to say goodbye. Unfortunately, I, I feel like we were neglected until she was to a point where they couldn't ignore us anymore, but at that point it was just too late. Like many hospitals across the country, the Cumberland Regional Healthcare Center in Amherst, Nova Scotia, has experienced staffing shortages, overcrowding, and high patient volumes. The province says an investigation is underway to determine what happened and how something similar can be prevented in the future. These types of situations are what happens when health systems collapse. Dr. Alika Lafontaine is the president of the Canadian Medical Association and is urging politicians across the country to fix the crisis. This is a problem that they can't ignore, and it's not a problem that patients and providers can fix by ourselves. You know, we need governments to step up. But Ottawa and the provinces continue to argue over increases to health care funding and how that money should be spent. Omar. can't even imagine what that family is going through tonight. Heather, thank you. A patient and three staff members at a Winnipeg hospital in urgent care tonight after fire broke out this morning on the sixth floor. The flames at Victoria Hospital were quickly extinguished, but not before sprinklers caused flooding and electrical issues. The cause is under investigation. 
An aircraft Justin Trudeau once said he'd never buy will soon be part of Canada's military assets. Ottawa announced a major new purchase today of a fleet of fighter jets. The F-35s can go faster than Mach 1, reaching speeds of nearly 2,000 kilometers an hour. But getting to this point has been an agonizingly slow process. CTV's senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor on the long debate and the soaring costs. More than a decade after Canada pledged to buy F-35s, today, finally, a deal. It is the most advanced fighter on the market. The F-35 boasts a stealth mode and will easily integrate on joint missions with other militaries that fly them. Canada will pay about $85 million U.S. per plane, a program pegged at $19 billion. But the true cost of buying and operating the 88 aircraft is estimated at $70 billion over their full life cycle. The government insists that will be offset by economic growth, 3,300 jobs and the industrial benefits Canadian aerospace companies will reap from the program. And every one of these jets will also include Canadian components from landing gear parts to engine parts to software. Canada will receive four aircraft in 2026 to start training pilots and maintenance technicians. But the first jets won't be mission ready until 2029, with the final deliveries expected between 2032 and 2034. The fighter jet purchase has been politically fraught since the Conservative government pledged to buy F-35s in 2010. A Liberal government will also do what the Harper Conservatives ought to have said years ago. We will not buy the F-35 fighter jet. But in 2017, the government began an open bidding competition, eventually choosing the F-35. Earlier generations of the fighter have been plagued with problems. It's a complex uh, piece of equipment and there will be bugs in it. But we're getting it not at the outset. The former Conservative Defence Minister says the long procurement process has come at a price. The delay, of course, has impacted quite severely on the Royal Canadian Air Force in terms of recruitment and retention of pilots, uh, fighter aircraft capability. With a lengthy timeline to get the new jets into the air, Canada will have to keep relying on its fleet of aging CF-18s. They won't be fully retired until 2032, Omar. Right, Glenn, thank you. Prime Minister Trudeau is in Mexico City tonight with his counterparts from the U.S. and Mexico for discussions on everything from trade to immigration to security. The three-day summit is the first since 2021. CTV's Judy Trin is traveling with the Prime Minister and is in Mexico tonight. Judy. As soon as the Prime Minister's plane landed, Trudeau's motorcade sped to a gathering of North American CEOs where he pitched investment opportunities, especially in the area of critical minerals, which are essential in powering a green future. Canada released our critical mineral strategy just a few weeks ago, and it lays out Canada's plan to capitalize on the once-in-a-generation opportunity we all have right now to be leaders as we move forward towards a clean economy. Tomorrow is the real start to this North American Leaders Conference. It will begin with a one-on-one -on -one meeting between President Joe Biden and Trudeau. We are expecting an announcement on the trusted traveler program, Nexus, which is facing huge application backlogs. After Biden and Trudeau meet, they will join Mexican President Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador, where Canada will be urging more cooperation and less protectionism. Other issues on the agenda include grain and stabilizing Haiti. Amid all this, the Prime Minister will try to drum up more investment. 
Omar. All right, Judy Trin on the North American Leaders Summit, which begins tomorrow. Judy, thank you. And even before it starts, the leaders have taken a united stand to denounce yesterday's violent uprising in Brazil. In a joint statement, they said Canada, Mexico, and the United States condemn the January 8th attacks on Brazil's democracy and on the peaceful transfer of power. Yesterday, chaos as a mob of thousands stormed and trashed the highest seats of power. And as CTV's Washington Bureau Chief Joy Malbin reports, deep divisions remain. There's an uneasy calm in Brazil's capital, but the anger is still simmering. As police dismantle the camps, taking as many as 1,500 people into custody. Stop, this woman begs police. We're patriots. Join us. This after protesters stormed government offices. Supporters of far-right ex-president Jair Bolsonaro tried to topple the government. Smashing in windows, attacking all three branches of government, slashing artwork and portraits, and trashing the presidential palace. Bolsonaro, often called the Donald Trump of the tropics, falsely claimed the election was stolen from him. Frighteningly familiar to Americans, still reeling from the U.S. Capitol attack two years ago. He basically used the Trump playbook to inspire domestic terrorists to try to take over the government. The new leftist president, Lula da Silva, taking stock of the damage, vowed to punish those responsible for what he called a coup. Congratulations, Madam Ambassador. Swearing in the new U.S. ambassador to Brazil, the vice president joining a chorus of world leaders. This was uh, a, an obvious and clear attack on a democratic process, and we condemn it, of course. As for Bolsonaro, before losing, he flew to Florida complaining of stomach pains. Tonight, he tweeted he's been released from hospital. Jair Bolsonaro is in Florida hanging out with Donald Trump. He's a dangerous man. They should send him back to his home country, Brazil. The White House is now under pressure to expel Bolsonaro, believed to be here on a diplomatic visa. Several U.S. lawmakers are calling for his extradition. Omar? All right, Joy Malbin in Washington, where President Biden's lawyers have disclosed the discovery last fall of classified documents at his former office, prompting a review by the Department of Justice. The documents relate to Biden's time as vice president, but no word on what they contain. And while the White House said it is cooperating with the department, it did not explain why it waited until after the midterm elections to make the discovery public. Donald Trump, who tried to prevent officials from retrieving classified documents from his Mar-a-Lago estate, pounced on the news. A key difference, Biden proactively revealed the news and his team returned the documents to the archives within a day. Difficult days in Pakistan have turned into agonizing months after catastrophic and deadly floods destroyed parts of the country. Today, a pledge of billions in aid to help the country recover from what's being called a climate disaster of monumental scale. CTV's Genevieve Beauchemin reports. Struggling Pakistan had called on the world to help, and today donors pledged over $9 billion. This at a conference in Geneva where the UN Secretary General urged the international community to match what he called Pakistan's heroic efforts. Pakistan is doubly victimized by climate chaos and the morally bankrupt global financial system. The response was viewed as a major test of whether wealthy nations would pitch in to pay for climate disasters. 
Parts of Pakistan are still submerged in the wake of last summer's devastating monsoon rains and melting glaciers. A tsunami from the sky, says Pakistan. Nearly two million people lost their homes and 1,700 their lives. That climate chaos hit as the country's economy crumbled, driving up the cost of food. Among the most vulnerable Afghan refugees fleeing the Taliban. 57 families live in this makeshift camp in Islamabad. They've been here for nine months. Our young people are uh, completely homeless. Happy Christmas to you. Not allowed to work and without visas, they fear police will arrest and deport them after an amnesty ended December 31st. We're in danger night and day, she says. Everything we had to eat is gone. We're begging the United Nations to help us. The focus at the U.N. conference today was on long-term recovery from the floods. Of the billions pledged, Canada put in $25 million, and the U.N. urged the world to make good on its promises. Words are not enough. Without action, climate catastrophe is coming for all of us. This lifeline will cover about half of what's desperately needed for the flood response. Now, Pakistan is expected to pay the rest. Rebuilding will be a monumental task. Omar. A massive effort, Jen. Thank you. Flooding is also creating a deadly situation in California. Tens of thousands are being forced to leave their homes ahead of another series of heavy storms. At least a dozen people have been killed in the last 10 days of relentless rain and damaging winds. Here's CTV's Richard Madden. The powerful storm blasting through California is leaving a massive trail of destruction. And it's not over yet. We are experiencing a storm that is causing many problems and it has the potential to cause major problems across our county. Almost 90% of the state is under flood alert. Days of pounding rain have triggered mudslides and washed away roads. Hurricane force winds have knocked down trees, leaving hundreds of thousands without power. One tree crashed onto this woman's home overnight. And I could hear bump, but I kept hearing like something hitting the house. And when I got up to look out this bank of windows, um, Honest to God, I saw the tree coming right at me. Evacuation orders have been issued in parts of central California, where more than 20 centimeters of rain fell in just 12 hours. The fast-rising water washed away a car. Rescue crews are now searching for a five-year-old boy who's still missing. It's a weather whiplash. The severe flood warnings overlap severe drought warnings. Experts say the land can't soak up that much rainfall and warn of dangerous conditions. Don't test, test fate. I mean, just a foot of water and your, your car is floating. You know, half a foot of water, you're off your feet. Uh, half a foot of water, you're losing control of your vehicle. And there's no relief in sight. More rain is in the forecast. President Joe Biden has since approved California's state of emergency. That activates federal help for recovery and rebuilding. The cleanup costs alone are expected to be in the billions. Omar. All right, Richard, thanks. Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, flew from Cincinnati today to continue his incredible recovery in a Buffalo hospital just a week after he suffered a cardiac arrest and had to be resuscitated during a game. On Friday, continuing to regain strength. He's certainly on uh, what we consider a very normal to even accelerated trajectory uh, from the life-threatening event uh, that he has uh, that he underwent, uh, but is making great progress. Hamlin tweeted today that he was grateful for the care he received in Cincinnati, but he was happy to be back in Buffalo. Doctors say he's been walking and eating regular food since a breathing tube was removed on Friday. 
Great progress. Time for a two-minute break, but when we come back... <laughs> That's just not acceptable. The uproar over a school principal who sent out an ISIS flag email. Plus... There he is. A fierce face-off with a hammerhead shark. An email intended to celebrate diversity has instead caused concern at a Toronto elementary school. The principal included an ISIS flag on a message meant to mark Islamic Heritage Month. CTV's Adrian Gobriel reports. Parents are ringing the alarm at a Toronto elementary school. If within an inner city school, we can have something like the ISIS flag being sent out for Islamic Heritage Month, what else is happening? In October, first-time principal Darlene Jones sent out this email to roughly 700 families to mark the beginning of Somali and Islamic Heritage Month. Shockingly, Principal Jones added this image of an ISIS flag. When you first realized it was the ISIS flag, what went through your mind? I'm still flabbergasted. I, I, can't, I cannot believe it. This is Adrian Gobriel calling from CTV National News. We called Principal Jones to try and understand why she included a symbol of terrorism in an email meant to celebrate Islamic culture. Put any concerns to my communications officer and then I, he will respond. So you, you can't share with us why you sent out the ISIS flag in an email? I can have him reply to you. CTV paid a visit to the spokesperson at the Toronto District School Board. It's not exactly clear how that may have happened, but the fact is it, it should never have happened. That shouldn't have gone out, uh, and that's why she's apologized. Principal Jones has sent a follow-up email to families saying, I would like to apologize to all those who were harmed by the image I sent last week to celebrate Islamic Heritage Month, though some say that response is not enough. I had a mother tell me. I don't feel that my children are safe, a Muslim mother. In 2020, a former principal at the same school was removed after a racist letter targeting black staff was sent out. An expert who studies at-risk youth believes the board would have been more proactive with both of these issues if they had taken place in a more affluent area. Every member of any school board, any adult, needs to be held responsible for their actions. And I think that the school board needs to act uh, immediately. Parents tell us they're concerned about a troubling pattern of behavior involving this principal, including a 13-year-old student being mistaken for a teacher and asked to go outside and supervise other kids during recess. Omar? Adrian Gobriel in Toronto tonight. Thank you. There are stunning new details tonight about Friday's elementary school shooting in Virginia and the six-year-old student who allegedly shot his teacher. She suffered a gunshot wound, um, but she was still able to get all of her students out of that classroom. 25-year-old Abigail Zwerner is being hailed a hero and is recovering in hospital. Police say the young suspect used a gun that was legally purchased by his mother and brought the pistol in his backpack. He is receiving court-ordered mental health treatment. Still ahead, a mission not accomplished. The UK's first ever satellite launch doesn't go as planned. The Alberta government is giving a financial boost to help combat the rising cost of living. Record inflation and rising costs are impacting the lives of Albertans. Families with children under 18, seniors and those already receiving certain benefits will be eligible for $100 a month for six months. 
To be eligible, a household must have a yearly income below $180,000 a year. The first checks hit the mail at the end of the month. Critics say the move is meant to gain favor with voters ahead of the provincial election in May. There was a big setback tonight in Virgin Orbit's quest to launch a satellite from Western Europe. The plan was for the satellites to be launched from a rocket carried under the wing of a modified Boeing 747. But officials say an anomaly prevented the rocket from reaching orbit. An Ontario fisherman spending the winter in Florida got more on the line than he bargained for when a shark decided his catch was up for grabs. Shark. An 80-pound tarpon fish was on the line when all of a sudden... Out of the blue, this hammerhead came up. It was only about 20 feet away from the boat. Hit the tarpon once, cut the line. Jim Crack said the hammerhead then came back a second time and took off with the fish, leaving Jim empty-handed. And he had spent half an hour trying to reel it in. After the break, a sick mother's unique creation for her sports-loving sons. Necessity is said to be the mother of invention, and that is very true in our final story tonight. A sick woman in Ontario couldn't find a helmet to protect her children, so she created one herself. CTV's John Venavelli Rao on the innovation getting international attention. Outside her home, Tina Singh showed us some of her family's beloved bicycles. This is an old helmet that my kids have. And the helmets her children used to wear that never quite kept them as safe as she felt they should. I wasn't that surprised that there wasn't anything out there. Like, I think that there's not, there's not always a huge um, diversity in the products that we see in the market. As practicing six, her three boys keep their hair long in the traditional top knot bun, which is covered by a cloth. But when Singh got the boys' bike helmets, they just didn't fit right because there wasn't enough room up top. Even when Singh cut holes in the inside foam, she tried to find an alternative. I went to the stores to look around. You know, I looked on the internet and, like, I found nothing. There was nothing from anyone. Here are two reasons your child needs a helmet while riding their bike. So Singh, who's an occupational therapist, got some help to create something that would be safer. This is something I've designed for their protection. And after more than two years of development... She's getting ready to sell what she calls the sick helmet, which has a bump at the top. And as you can see, it fits much better. It's also got three safety certifications. It is currently certified for use with a bicycle, inline skates, skateboard, and kick scooter. While some sicks object to anything being put on the cloth head covering, Singh says she's been getting lots of interest from as far as the U.S., Europe, and parts of Asia, and may branch out to making hockey and baseball helmets. Her husband says he didn't play hockey as a kid because of the helmet issue. It's going to mean a lot for a lot of kids, I think, to allow them to be able to participate in sports in a safe way. As for Singh, she hopes to see children wearing them by the start of March. John Venavelli Rouse, CTV News, Brampton, Ontario. Ingenuity that will hopefully lead to more inclusion. And that's a snapshot of this Monday for all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching and have a good night.